guys bear with me today. I'm uh, just a little nervous, but uh, all right, we'll have this. The Lord will provide for us. If y'all will uh, turn with me to Psalm 55, I believe it's on page 445 in your pew Bible. If you need that, uh, I'll be reading from there, and I'm going to warn you today too. I'm going to jump around to a lot of different verses, so just bear with me as we go. Anyway, um, let's hear David's desperate prayer in Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I can bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I can hide from it. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul and safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your scripture and for the power of it, Lord, that you have given it to us, that we may learn more about you and your kingdom and ultimately be saved by the, the truth therein. Lord, I just pray today that you would get me out of your way and help me to expose the truth of your scripture um, to your church. Lord, just guide us and be with us all during this, and uh, may all that we do glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the background, a little background to this song is that a lot of, a lot of, uh, of your biblical scholars who are way more knowledgeable than I am um, kind of went back and forth on what this song was written about. But most tend to have settled on the fact that it was... Um, most likely written at the time of Absalom, who was David's son, uh, his betrayal and revolt against David. Absalom teamed uh, with Ahithophel, David's trusted military advisor, and uh, decided that he was better fit to run the kingdom than David was. So uh, David ran, had to be run out of his own kingdom. Um, you know, David was God's anointed. David was promised in 2 Samuel 12 through 16 that he was going to be the forefather of Jesus, that, that, that his throne would be established forever, and that Jesus would come from his line, the Savior would come from David. And yet here he is, 
being run out of his own kingdom. Um, he just, Ahithophel and Absalom banded together and uh, betrayed David. I mean, there's no other way to, to say it. Um, now, David was a strong, obviously, at an all-time low. Been run out of his kingdom by those who were supposed to love him. He didn't know where to turn. Leaning on the counsel of men had only gotten him this far, to the pits. Where was he to go? The answer was prayer. This psalm is a prayer to God. That's the only way out of trouble. So, the three points you're going to hear me discuss today are going to be always be faithful and earnest in prayer and supplication because though you will at some point face suffering and betrayal, the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. So Matthew Henry states that prayer is a salve for every sore and a relief to the spirit under every burden. Here we see David in his honest and desperate prayer um, using some pretty desperate vocabulary. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan. It's hard to imagine a king, especially God's anointed king, moaning and crying out in desperation. But here he is. Um, in, in verse 4 and 5, we see him truthfully crying out. My heart is in anguish. The terrors of death overcome me. Fear and trembling. Horror overwhelms me. These, these are true, honest feelings that David is, or that David is it's bringing before the Lord. Um, the moaning, it, it brings to mind a, a picture for me of a nursing home where you got residents who are, who are lying there afflicted with dementia or withering diseases, just crying out in anguish and hopelessness like there's nothing left but agony. And I can imagine at the beginning of this psalm when David was in this place, that's kind of where he was. Um, these aren't just merely flowery words for the sake of the audience. This was a real feeling. This is real fear. In our most desperate times, it's imperative that we are honest, truthful, and humble about our needs. We need to ask God to meet us where we are. Can you imagine? We all have been scared at some point in our life, but not many of us have ever had a time where we are truly and honestly trembling with fear. The, the terrors of death have not come over many of us. Um, I know it happens, but that's just something that we need to kind of place ourselves in shoes. This is, this is God's king in this situation. Um, but he humbly, honestly, and obediently came before the Lord on his knees in prayer. The Lord knows our heart. We can't deceive him. It's for our own sake that we come to him. He hears our cry. He's not going to leave our side if we come to him faithfully. He wove us together from the very beginning of time. He foreordained everything that would ever happen to us. He doesn't need us to put on a false bravado and come saying, you know, Lord, Lord, deliver me. He wants us to do as David did and come faithfully and humbly to him. We, we need to lean on him for our every need. This sort of true reliance on Jesus is the only hope that we have in this life. God doesn't need our clever man-made devices and machinations. He demands obedience. And what better form of obedience is there than falling on our knees before a holy God and begging for mercy and deliverance? In verses 6 through 8, we're going to see David telling God honestly of his reaction to all this going on around him, his desire to flee from this situation. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. You know, a dove is a helpless creature. They're swift in flight, but they have no defense mechanism. There's nothing there. And here's, here's David, a strong king who wants to sprout wings and fly away like a dove. He, this is against his nature. David is the one who volunteered to fight Goliath. Without any sort of armor, killed Goliath. He had fought and killed so many enemies of Israel in his time. And here he is now, afflicted by something. He just wants to run away. 
That is, that is not in his nature. It must have been really horrific what he was going through at the time. He wants to find a shelter away from the raging wind and tempest. He feels like it's all out of control, far beyond any human resolution. And, and it was. The only way out of trouble like that is to seek refuge in the Lord. And that's what he was doing through his prayer. That's why it's so important to earnestly, honestly, humbly go to the Lord in fervent prayer, not just in bad times, but in all things. Philippians 4.6 tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. It's kind of interesting when we're, when we're thinking about prayer and, and, and what we are to do. Um, Ephesians talks about putting on the whole armor of God when we are to face the, the devil and, the, and, and to face the world and the evil thereof. Um, but mentioning, mentioning the whole armor of God, it, it doesn't mean anything, mention anything about armor for your back. When we take up the armor of God, we're to don the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of readiness in the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Nothing there about your back. But David just wanted to fly away from his troubles. But what he had on his side was something far greater. He wasn't flying away from his troubles. He was taking it to the Lord in prayer. That's the only way we're to do it. If we're not to flee in distress upon encountering terrible trials, what are we to do? Face it head on on our knees through prayer. You know, notice that nowhere in here does David attempt to rely on his heart, his gut, his feelings. You know, we are told so often in life, I don't know how many times I've been told this week, oh, well, just trust your heart. You'll be fine. Just, just follow your feelings. Follow your gut. No, our heart is deceitful. The only thing we are to follow is this book right here, where the Spirit leads us. Um, we, uh, we're, to, we're to trust in nothing more than the power and deliverance of God through his Spirit. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. You know, in times of relative prosperity, it's easy to forget this. You know, we, where everything's good, we're trucking along, you and going on our own devices, and all of a sudden, the tables are turned. And where do we find ourselves? Right where David was. How will we handle that? Are we going to go to the Lord in prayer, humbly, or are we going to try to face it alone? But I can promise you, trying to face things alone is the path to ruin. All right, moving on. You will face betrayal and suffering in your life. It's inevitable. We, we, are, we are told that throughout. But what is David asking for in his prayer? In the first part of the psalm, we see him asking for deliverance. Now, in verses 9, 9 through 12 and 15, we see him turn to imprecation. Um, he is asking God to condemn what is going on around him, to punish the evil that is going on around him. He is taking his request and making it known to the Lord. He's not timid in what he asks for. He knows what he needs, and he asks the Lord for it, humbly. Um, in verse 9, he boldly asks God to destroy and divide their tongues. This seems to be a reference to battle, where men and all their wonderful devices sought to, to live together and, and be like God themselves. So they decided they were going to build a tower up into the heavens, and, and they thought that they could do that. They, they had the, the technology and the willpower. They could do that. And what did God do? He came down. He confused their tongues, and he divided them. And it, it, it makes sense to me that we would see David asking for that in the rebellion of Absalom and Hithophel. Um, we would want them. He would want them to be dis confused and disorganized so they might not stand. Evidence of this can be found in 2 Samuel 17, verse 14. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. 
This seems to be referencing the conflicting advice given to, to um, Absalom by Hushai, who was an undercover agent of David. He was another friend of David, like Ahithophel's. However, he, he did not actually betray David. He was there in his camp. Um, the trusted advisor, Ahithophel, had given Absalom the advice, hey, we need to go now. We need to take men, and we need to overtake David, and we will kill him, and we will... We will take him down right now. And Absalom said, yeah, that's good. Well, then Hushai comes in here and says, well, you know, I think David's a really good warrior. He, he, can, he can probably take it. So what I would do is just take some time. Let's, let's let things simmer down. Let's think about it, and we'll go from there. Um, and that allowed David to get his strength together. And that's, that came directly from God. God ordained that that would happen. So if that happened to him... How much more in the little trials and tribulations of our life can we just trust the Lord? And even when it seems like there is no way out, he will provide a way. He will provide a way that we need to go. So, um, once again, in verse 15, um, David is, is calling for more imprecation. He's begging them to send them to Sheol, begging God to send them to Sheol alive. Uh, Sheol is a place of death. This is due to the constant evil and treachery. Evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. Now, back in verse 10 and 11, David speaks of the violence and iniquity in the city. It calls to mind the, the flaunting of evil out in the open, unashamed. Um, we, day and night, not departing the marketplace. Normally, when we think of evil deeds, we think of a dark night, somewhere in the alley, hidden from plain sight. You know, it, as the saying goes, you go into a dark, dirty room somewhere, and you turn on the lights, and the roaches scatter. They don't like the light. Um, when, when things are brought to light, we hide from them. But now, we're not... We're not seeing, um, seeing that as much. The, the evil that David is seeking deliverance from is powerfully formed against him, not ashamed, not hidden out in the open, marching on the walls day and night. Yet, we can see this every day. There is nothing more plain in our society today and you know, all around the world, in our country, and right here in our community. We see violent acts, just absolutely depraved things, just perpetrated in plain daylight. Nobody cares. There's no remorse. And... and it is just, it is becoming commonplace. We see people condoning evil and condemning good. We've got leaders and, and influencers who work hard to do the wrong thing when it would be easier to do the right thing. Um, our world's depraved. We're not even ashamed of any of the evil that we do. Um, so we can find ourselves uh, praying similar prayers of imprecation um, against this. Um, that doesn't mean that we're asking for God to destroy someone. Um, you know, God is holy and righteous. We must understand that and rest in it. He is in control, and, and as his people, it is our job to pray for his righteousness and justice to prevail in all things. What this might look like for us is to pray for him to blot out the evil around us, to change the hearts of those involved. We're to love others, but we are not to love evil. Asking the Lord to judge evil and deliver us from it is imperative. So in verses 12 through 14, and again in verses 20 through 21, we get a glimpse of why this particular betrayal is so bad. What, what makes it so painful? It's not that, as he says um, in, in 12, it's not that it's an, it's an enemy or it's an adversary. No, this is a friend. This is much more personal than that. Um, he, it's a close friend. He took sweet counsel with David. A covenant was violated. He betrayed David through the smooth talking, deceptive words. His speech was as smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. There are few things more painful than the betrayal of one close to you. Those closest to us, they are for a reason. They're, they're closest to us because we've built something. 
We built a relationship with them. We, uh, they're not formed in a day. Love and care for each other is cultivated over a long period of time. Um, in many cases, they're built by shared experiences, whether it's hardships you went through together, whatever it is. You don't get close to somebody overnight, but I can guarantee you, you can, you can break that trust overnight, and, and we all do it. it, it it's, it's happened so many times. That's why it's so painful about it when, my, when we're betrayed by those we love and trust the most. We tend to place ultimate trust, though, in the wrong places. We trust in people and devices, not God. There's nothing wrong with trusting friends and loved ones as long as we don't mistake them for being infallible. There's but one who will never leave you or forsake you. Betrayal, though, isn't just reserved for others. It's for all of us. It's not just, it's not just the other guy who's going to betray us. It, we, we are just as good at it as the next person. David, God's anointed king, the one who's calling out against the betrayers here, was just as good at it as anybody else. Remember Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah? Uh, Uriah was a faithful warrior of David's. David so wanted something that he had, he took it. Um, then, after learning that Bathsheba was with child, he tried to cover it up by recalling Uriah from war. Uriah was unwilling to go home and, and, and be with his wife, ironically, because he felt like that he betrayed his men. Um, and David sent a letter with him after, after multiple attempts at getting Uriah to go, go be with his wife to cover up his own evil sin. Um, Uriah refused, so he, he said, okay, that's fine. He sends Uriah with a sealed letter back to Joab, the commander of his armies, carrying his own execution letter. He commanded Joab to put, him in the hot, to put Uriah in the hottest part of battle and then withdraw from him so he would be killed. Now, this is one of his trusted men who was a faithful warrior of his, and here he is, betraying him, all because he wanted something he had. Okay? Um, we can take a look again at, at the most infamous example of betrayal to ever occur, um, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. Here's Judas, um, one of the 12 men of all the world selected to, to promulgate the gospel, to spend time with Jesus. Jesus spent his whole ministry with these 12 men. In order, they were the apostles. Apostles are sent from God by definition. And, and here is Judas, who was so close, privy to all the closest secrets, and all he cared about was money and himself over faithfulness to Christ. Okay? He, he devoted his whole ministry to him. He, uh, yet he betrayed him. He, he, he sent him off to certain death at the hands of the enemy, the only man to ever live a perfect life free from sin. And even he can be betrayed by one close to him. At the time, it was impossible for us, though, to see what good could come from that. Now we know that God is sovereign, and that, that's pretty good news because uh, we know exactly how that ends. We will at some point in this life face suffering and betrayal. Nowhere are we promised prosperity in this life. However, uh, many places in the Bible, um, the Christian, the faithful follower of Christ, is, is pretty much promised suffering. When Jesus told his disciples to take up your cross and follow me, the cross didn't have the same connotations it does for us today. You know, the resurrection did not yet happen. The cross was only a symbol of hate, evil, pain, suffering. That's it. There were no good connotations to the cross. And now here we go. We, we wear them around our necks today because we know what it meant for us. But they didn't. They didn't know then. Um, so you're not promised good in this life. You were promised, you were promised suffering. But the end is good. Okay, um, 
You know, you, we see where it led. That symbol of suffering led to the greatest thing that can ever happen to us as believers. Salvation, the blotting out of our sin, our own betrayals, that we may get to live in community with Jesus and the Father and the Spirit forever. We don't know why we face trials and betrayals. We can't possibly look at it from God's point of view. The things that we haven't experienced here are beyond our understanding. We've got a sovereign God who will lead us through it and at the end of the race into his presence forever. Now let's go somewhere a little more uncomfortable for a minute. The traitor in the text could easily be any of us. While we like to think that we're loyal, honest, good-hearted, etc., you know all the terms that we use about each other. Oh, he's such a good person. Nah, the Bible says differently. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 18, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Every single one of us is capable of the same kind of betrayal that Judas performed against our Savior. Any sin we commit is high treason against a righteous and holy king. We do it every day. We think about betrayal and how much it hurts us. It's important to keep that in perspective. We are sinful creatures who truly are masters at betrayal. We, we, every day uh, we do it. We were created by a holy and perfect God who, because of our treachery, voluntarily came to earth to live a perfect life and die a horrendous, undeserved death in order to become the propitiation for our sins. No treason you could ever face. Compares to the treason we commit against the Lord every single day. But the beautiful plan of God from the foundation of the earth was that he would send his son to save us. That all we would have to do to gain his righteousness is repent of our sin and have faith in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. All right, enough of the heaviness. Here's, here's the good part. So in verses 16 through 19, I'm going to read them again. But I call to the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. He hears my voice. He redeems my soul and safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My, there we go. <laughs> That's it. Um, this is a new kind of confidence that we didn't see in the first half of the song. We saw we saw fear and worry and trembling and terrors of death. And now he's saying the Lord will deliver me. What changed? He his humble prayer. He knows he has faith that trusting in the Lord will bring deliverance. David didn't know with certainty that he was going to be delivered alive. But he did have faith in what was to come. He did know that ultimately salvation was his by faith. Um, he's no longer desperate in trouble. He's now just confident that the Lord will give ear to his prayer no matter what. He's constantly in prayer, evening, morning, and noon. He prays and earnestly calls out to God and is delivered. He faithfully knows that the Lord will hear his plea and it will not fall on deaf ears. He not only knows what the Lord will do for the faithful, but he also tells them what he will do to the unfaithful. 
in verse 19, he states that God will humble them because they do not change and do not fear God. When we receive the gift of salvation, we necessarily repent and change from our wicked ways into a life of faith. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin. It doesn't mean we're not going to slide. Um, but we are constantly being sanctified. We're living in daily repentance. We are not, we're not the same as we once were. We are changed. And when we do sin, hopefully it's a different kind of sin. Hopefully with the, the sin that we committed yesterday is not the same as the sin we commit today because we are constantly repenting of that. And God is opening up new things in our lives. But there's nothing that you can't be forgiven for. There's absolutely nothing that you can't turn from and repent of and be hurt by the Lord. Um, so the unfaithful here, on the other hand, are described as unchanging and not fearing God. This points to unbelief. How would one possibly believe the truth of Scripture, believe the gospel, the holiness of God, and not be changed by it in all of it? It's impossible. There, there are those who are unchanging and not fearful of God, and they will ultimately be humbled and sent to hell for eternal punishment. They will, as verse 23 tells us, be cast down into the pit of destruction. These men of blood and treachery that did not repent and trust in the name of the Lord. Will we be as those who are unchanging or will we be transformed by the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit? Finally, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Now that, if that doesn't reassure you, I don't know what is. That is a powerful verse. It's a command and a promise. Spurgeon says, What God lays upon you, lay upon the Lord. And in, in his wisdom he gave it to you. It is wise to give it back to him. What's your burden? Is it betrayal? Is it sickness? Is it death? Is it fear? Recurrent sin that you just can't seem to get yourself out of? Fervent prayer. Humble, obedient prayer. Can and will win. Um, whatever your burden is, you give it to God in confidence that he'll sustain you. The only way we as sinners can be righteous is to have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, there's a promise that you will never be moved. This doesn't promise earthly prosperity, but an eternal future in the presence of our Lord. If you're in him, you will never be moved from his presence. We're assured of our salvation and ultimate deliverance by Jesus. Jesus in John 6 says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's pretty comforting, huh? We will be raised up on the last day. So no matter what we face, what treachery we face, what pain we face, sickness we face, in the last day, if we are in Christ, if we put our faith in God the Son, it will all no, matter, no longer matter. We will be worshiping Him at His feet, crying, holy, 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 one day, and we will hurt no more. Amen. The psalm ends with, with uh, maybe the, the most powerful part and, and uh, just the truth of David's life. But I will trust in you. Trust can be defined as a confident expectation. There's nobody better to have that confident expectation in than Jesus Christ. I mean, he has proven time and time and again throughout Scripture and throughout his providence and all of history that we can trust him and we should trust him. Trust this. 
If you are in Christ, there is nowhere on earth that you can go to escape the Lord's faithfulness and steadfast love. He will never betray you. He will deliver you. So that's, that's pretty much what I got in, in closing, but I do have some application for us. So we live in America. We're not, we're not persecuted. as it, We may be persecuted in some way or another because of being Christian, but it pretty much just goes to the extent of we'll be laughed at or, or, or somebody will talk behind our back because, oh, they're, they're a Jesus freak, you know? Um, however, there are lots and lots of places, more places than not around the world, that that's not the truth. Um, the persecuted church is, is part of our church. They, we are all the universal church of Christ. And we have brothers and sisters all over the world who are suffering and dying because of what they believe. They, they, there are parts of the world where it's illegal to be a Christian. Believers face imprisonment, persecution, and even death just because of their faith. There are countless stories of betrayal by family members. Betrayal by family members and close friends just to save their own necks where somebody will turn in a family member to, to be severely persecuted all because they believe in the one true Christ. Um, to them, betrayal would mean anger and hurt feelings like it does for us in those cases. To them, it could mean death. Let's pray that our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world will remain steadfast in their faith. Not that they will be delivered earthly from their persecution, even though that we want that for them. But that they will stand confidently in Jesus throughout the face of their persecution. Therefore, their captors and their persecutors might be turned. Because if they see the, the steadfast love and faithfulness of the ones that they are persecuting, what more powerful message is that? Uh, we pray that, that they will be that they will be good witnesses throughout all that they face. And honestly, we need to pray because there may be time coming in our own country that, that we're going to face the same kind of thing. And we need to pray that God will make us stand strong. We just pray for their deliverance and we want to pray for the Holy Spirit to guide them and bring them the joy and the treasure they are building up in heaven. You want to pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and what you have done, Lord, both before the beginning of time and all throughout history. You have been there and you are steadfast, Lord, though we constantly betray you. We constantly turn away from you, turn our backs on you, and are not faithful to you. Yet, you remain faithful through all things. You have promised that if we believe in you, that we are never to be forsaken, that we will be delivered. Praise your name for that promise, Lord. We pray that you would just guide us as we go forth, that you would just be with us, bless us, help us to be less the betrayers and more the faithful, steadfast Christians. Lord, help us to be humble and fervent in prayer, just as David was in this song. Lord, we pray that you would guide us, that you would just be with your persecuted church, and that you would just keep them steadfast. Lord, in all these things we ask in your name.